Hello, gentle listener, and welcome back to Michael and Ethan in a Room with Scotch. I'm your host, Michael Lilienthal, and this is my guest, Ethan Bartlett. Hello, Ethan. Hello, Michael. On this podcast, we talk about books, but not about scotch. So what are you going to say? Oh, I was just going to say that one of my recent favorite podcasts is by two New Zealand guys, and they always say, welcome along. Welcome along. Nice. That's so pleasant. Isn't it? (laughs) It's just heartwarming and cheery. But that's not this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So we are everything that they are not. Um, which means that we drink a lot of scotch. I don't know what they do. Do they do they drink scotch? In New Zealand? Yeah. Are we now like, what's a polite term for measuring? Are we now, uh... <laughs> Not what I was going for, but okay. I was going to say, are we, are we now like in competition with, uh, with these guys? Like, yes, direct competition. I didn't even say the name of the podcast, and you're like instantly threatened by them. I'm not threatened. What do you mean? I'm fine. Oh, it's, okay. Yeah, you see, not threatened. That's... I'm not threatened. I could, I could totally take them. Yeah, that's definitely Just the tone. Ask and... me whether I could take them. Ask me. Ask me if I could take them. Hey, Michael. What? Could you take them? I could take them. Okay. I was gonna say that's definitely <laughs> the ter- tone and vocabulary of someone who's not threatened. I know. And also, I know what I'm about. You don't even know who that like. These guys could be like the New Zealand bodybuilder podcast. <laughs> like these could be two guys who have mu- like, is like it, biceps is it as Ethan, big as your head. Is it? Yes, is it the New Zealand bodybuilders podcast? I am very interested in bodybuilding on a completely theoretical level, and only in New Zealand. <laughs> that tracks. Um. No, it's the podcast, The Worst Idea of All Time. Oh, see, uh, you've brought that one up before. And, oh, have I? Hey, yeah. On the I, show? I do like that, that, that concept. Yep. I don't yeah. know if you've brought it up on the show, oh, okay. but you've mentioned it to me before. I was going to say I'm getting stale, but if it wasn't on the show, then I'm not getting stale, so that's okay. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I don't matter. The show matters. <laughs> well, that's not what I was saying, but frankly, based on how you've behaved so far on this episode... <laughs> I'm not going to apologize for it. It's it's always there. There's one in every set of four episodes that I get really hostile, <laughs> and it's usually the one. Wait, we haven't played classes yet. It's usually the one where you've had the most to drink. That's true. That's that's very true. Oh, I could have said that after we played classes because I didn't say scotch. Oh, oh, that was me teasing true. you. Yeah, yeah, you do that a lot too. You know you um, like it. Yeah, I know. I know I do. Boy, as if I didn't already have to put the explicit tag on this for saying measuring. Um. <laughs> uh, yeah, the scotch we're drinking is still Talisker Storm Single Malt Scotch Whiskey. Uh, we're going to finish up our bottles in this episode. Whoa, okay. I got <laughs> Oh, I was going to say I have like more of my... Oh my gosh. <laughs> I have less of my bottle to go than you do. Featherweight Lilienthal, but that's your new that's your new name. Um, that's my new name. What okay. I have, I, I was what I was originally gonna say I have like way more of this bottle to go than I usually do, and then mm. I realized like only I've been working on mm-hmm. this bottle, so there we are. Anyway, so there is there is there is a lot left. Yeah, and we're gonna finish it. Okay, well this chug is... chug chug. 
Chug. I just, I am 32 years old. Oh, happy birthday yesterday, by the way. Oh, thank you. I meant yeah, to that say happened. that yesterday, and then I meant to say it on this podcast, and neither has happened till now. Uh, <laughs> now it's happened, and this episode will come out like three months after. Yeah, right, and, and it'll be <laughs> completely irrelevant. Um, I forgot what I was going to say about the other stuff, though. We're old. Oh yes, no. That's what I was gonna say. Is like I'm 32 years old, which reminded me that your birthday was yesterday because mine is three days earlier. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I'm your elder, and you should respect me. Um, Not anymore. We're the same age. Well, but I'm still your elder by that three oh, okay. days, technically. I feel like I say this to you every year, and here yeah, we I are. know. Um, anyway, and like just by being 32 years old hearing you say chug 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 and like <laughs> thinking just having the completely theoretical thought of doing so i just did feel a little ill um so that's there's that but that said yeah. i would love to start drinking this so i'm gonna call my wife in to do it read the, read the stuff and the things hey mm-hmm. wife can you come read the stuff and the things please Rule one. Once the scotch is poured and the glasses clink, the scotch must not be mentioned at any time. If anyone mentions it, they lose. Rule two. No one's mother should be mentioned in any pejorative sense or any other sense not directly indicated by the text of the book being discussed. If any mothers are mentioned, the mentioner loses. Rule three. Ethan must never say the phrase, first paragraph. If he does, he loses. Rule four. Michael must never say the words vampire, vampiric, or any derivative thereof. If he does, he loses. Rule five. If anyone has to use the bathroom during an episode, he or she loses. However, this should not stop anyone from doing so because this podcast is anti-UTI. Rule number six. The wives are entitled to one glass of scotch or some equivalent beverage. Rule number seven. If four scotch-centric episodes pass with no losses, then everyone loses. And what happens if someone breaks the rules? If one person breaks a rule, they receive a punishment in the form of a verbal stunt chosen by the person who did not break the rule. All that being said, everyone, drink responsibly. Yeah, Ethan. Yeah, Michael. Gentle Gentle listener. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right. There it is, the entire rest of the bottle in a glass. It's all there. Yeah, it's impressive that you have, like, a pint glass that fits the rest of your bottle in. Anyway, Brost. I'm just avoiding doing the Irish ones instead of episodes because hmm. I feel like I've talked about Ireland a lot. I don't know. Well, the whole last set of episodes was all Irish, so. Yeah, and then the whole set of episodes before that was like me shoehorning in Ireland in every possible way, which is what I'm going to, mm-hmm. I think I made this joke before, that that's what I'm going to do from now on forever because I went to Ireland once, so. Um yeah, yep. yeah, it's true. Anyway. So, how, uh, how are you going to fit Ireland into this book that we're discussing, Ball Lightning by Tsishin Liu? Oh, uh, at some point, um, the main character goes to Nebraska 
and mm-hmm. Nebraska is next to Kansas, and mm-hmm. Kansas has a historically high uh, Irish immigrant population. Uh-huh. And so now I'm going to tell like three more drinking at bars in Dublin stories. <laughs> there you go. Nice work. Nice thank work. you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I was not expecting quite that answer. That was good. <laughs> well, the first thing I thought of was just to claim that this was an Irish novel for no reason. And, <laughs> well, that might also have been funny. Mine was, my, my thing was slightly cleverer. So. Very good. This has been behind the, the podcast. Behind the podcast. Yes. Um, Michael yeah. Ethan in a room with Scotch Zone Zone. Oh, three! <gasps> Oh, you're so happy oh, right now. I'm so happy. Oh. Lost. Oh. I'm a little bit not unhappy That's because I still had come up with a punishment for you, so I'm also unhappy <laughs> because I lost. So You did. Yeah. You did. So uh, you're gonna oh, do it, and you're I gonna... didn't even I didn't even set you up for that. You just no. fell into the I mean that's that's how it goes, right? Because like it's true. when we set each other up for it, it's like We see it coming. Yeah. About a mile away. Um, we have to trip over our own feet. Right. Um, when is, what is proper yeah. order? Do we do that at the end? Punishments come at the end. Right. So well, it will loom over you. Yeah, but when do they come in the podcast? Anyway, go on. <laughs> um, all right. So we talked about the entirety of what this book is about in the last episode. Um, but well, then, what are we doing here? <laughs> Punish me and let's go home, and we can all we can all get out of here in under twenty minutes. We can, we can all be we'd be fine. Um, I want to talk about a couple um, peculiarities. Ooh. Not um, interesting things that occurred to me in in the book. Um, first, I want to look at the afterword. This is maybe the least uh, of them, but it's still kind of interesting. Sure. Um, where it's on page 383, where uh, Liu says that Ball Lightning, in a way, is a prequel to the Three Body series. Right. Um, and the Three Body series is what he's most famous for writing. At least. Uh, in, I have not read it. At um, least in the United States. I don't know about China. Yes. Yeah. Um, but it, he goes on, since it concludes with the first appearance of the aliens that would eventually threaten humanity and features a version of Dingyi who also appears in later books. Um, so it, it's interesting and without reading it, I can't comment on, on how much it's in a way a prequel and how much it's just a prequel. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, that, that was intriguing to me. And they, he, he hinted at that. Um, he didn't hint at that. The, the aliens were part of it right at the end there um, because there was uh, an occasion or a couple of occasions where, um, you know, the, the, the ball lightning was supposed to um, behave in its predictable way as long as it was being observed and they had everybody stop observing it, but it still behaved in the predictable way. And then they looked up and saw that the clouds had parted, Um, which the way it's written at first, it would seem to be that, okay, there's a satellite up there watching, um, which I think they touch on there that yes, there was a satellite watching, but then later it's no, there were aliens watching. Um, And you never actually see the aliens. It's kind of just left at that towards the end that aliens are are watching and they're coming 
So that's that's kind of the the cliffhanger that it ends on. Right. Um. Yeah, I I I think that ties in just that the whole theme of the uh, the observer in in the book is is where the aliens come in. Um, yeah. And it didn't strike me as like just being totally out of left field, even though as you talk about it now and say, yeah, and aliens were there watching. Oh yeah, and like, also wait a second. right at the end. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> on page like 360 out of 380 also aliens also aliens yeah yeah um that seems just weird but yeah in reading it i don't remember it feeling well weird. it's sort of an, an inductive thing because mm-hmm. the the logic that gets you to aliens is is laid out and mm-hmm. um you know you I don't want to say it's scientific mm-hmm. logic, but certainly the story logic is there. Um, and it's like baked into the premise in a way that's like, uh, you know, it, it just, it doesn't feel unfair. And it feels, it feels very, it feels very scientific in the sense that like, uh, mm. this is just the logical conclusion of all the premises that have been set up. Um Sure. I did think Aliens was very interesting as, like... Because, you know, I think at first uh, the the specter of them is first raised in a somewhat oblique way when um, they... the some, It was like a set of experiments that are, that are run that are designed not to have an observer, so they, like, remain in the quantum state. And, like, mm-hmm. some of them work that way, but then some of them collapse, and mm. they conclude that there must have been an observer. And at first, it's just like, oh, I mean, maybe someone someone looked or... Someone peaked. Yeah, yeah, we didn't do our protocols as, as strictly as we thought we did or something. Um, mm-hmm. And I will say, I... Uh, um, and I'm sure this is coming completely out of both my like cultural and religious biases. Uh, but like at first I wasn't sure where he was going with it. And mm. the, I, the first thing that came to my mind that I, I sort of held in like a, a suspended animation or a quantum state, if you will, um, <laughs> was the idea that uh, the only, the closest thing that like was in my whatever, uh conceptual lexicon was um there's like some 18th century uh philosophers who basically claim that a thing doesn't exist unless there is someone observing it right mm-hmm. um, so it's the idea that unless there is an intelligent observer of something like the 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 act of existence is not complete because you don't right. have if you don't have someone to comprehend a thing's existence like it's just a set of potentialities. Um, and of course, like depending on your, your, your framework for reality, like that becomes a pretty troubling uh, and pretty like infantile, almost sounding concept. Like it, mm-hmm. it like reverts us back to uh, before we learned object permanence. And we assume that, right. you know, like a like if it a, leaves our site it doesn't exist anymore. yeah or if we leave its site it ceases to exist um yep you know that which is literally what babies assume uh mm-hmm. but like um 
I forgot what I, I was going to say something. Oh, which which gets to like a, a form of solipsism, right? That oh that yeah, I am the only thing that exists. Like you know, mm -hmm. because I and and like you know, a, a lot of that is very much sort of like a philosophical punching bag in the sense that they're like concepts that if you're 16 and just discovering philosophy that they seem very like provocative and and uh hard to argue with but like it's it's easy to make them fall apart with you know mm -hmm. the most basic scrutiny um but so 18th and i know there are some famous names that i'm not thinking of here but um certain mm -hmm. 18th century like european philosophers did hold that observation completes the existence of something but to avoid solipsism and to avoid infantilism that's okay because god observes everything so it mm -hmm. becomes this argument for like the existence of god um because like you've set your your philosophical or your your cosmological basis for the idea that that you know everything has to have an observer and like uh therefore there if 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 like the world is not a tissue of, of shadows you know blundering in and out of existence with our observation if you if you assume some objective perspective that god must be that perspective or mm -hmm. there must be a perspective that you could then call god however you want to sort of frame that um mm -hmm. and uh you know like again when we got to this part of the novel like that's the first thing that occurred to me mm -hmm. um again because i'm much more well-versed in you know european yeah. british and, and american literature and philosophical traditions than i am in, mm -hmm. in chinese ones um and you know the the like F uh, sort of flippant, ugly American thing I could do at this point would be to pontificate about, like, you know, that this comes out of, like, Chinese communism and its atheistic stance and that, oh, sure. you know, that God is either being ignored out of ignorance or written out on purpose. And mm -hmm. I have no reason to, like, I have no way of knowing if any of that is true. Um, sure. So I'm certainly not going to claim it, but it it was a, it was because a passing thought. I mean, yeah, in the sense that like we have crappy passing thoughts all the time as humans. Yeah. Um, but uh, it, partly because of that, I think the aliens took me more by surprise than maybe they even should have. Um, oh sure. So it was like, oh yeah, I mean, this is you know, there there is that um mm -hmm. it had the feeling to me of like again i i said before like it, it feels very science scientific and again to feel scientific is not to be scientific inherently but um right in in the sense that like periodically you read you know an article in in nature or something about like oh a shadow passed in front of the sun and it was like going the wrong way for the solar winds or something is this is you know evidence that there's alien life who knows mm -hmm. um like scientists do in the real world try to extrapolate the existence of aliens and it's usually one of those situations where that becomes the headline and then if you dig down into the article it's like yeah scientists posited 
five reasons that this phenomenon may have happened. One of them is aliens. The other four are much more likely, but one of them is aliens. Um, <laughs> and, you know, this, honestly, to me, sort of felt felt like that. So, again, sure. uh, I don't know about, like, scientific reality, but, like, uh, on, a, on, like, a gut level or an intuitive level, it, it still felt very real, honestly, and very, like, close to the surface mm-hmm. of reality which is maybe why i don't know if, i i suspect something in that whole mess of things i just said might have to do with why it didn't feel like it felt less weird in the reading of the novel to just suddenly have aliens than it does when you just sort of summarize it that way yeah yeah that's yeah that's so that's that's one of the the peculiarities I wanted to to bring up here that concept of the aliens and the connection yes. then to the three body problem. So, oh yeah, and um, also it does super make me want to read three body problem. Definitely, which definitely. I wanted to already, but now yeah, even more so. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so next thing I want to talk just a little bit about the ending to the book. Okay. Um. Not the, well, yeah, I guess the, the end. It's it's the last chapter. Uh, it begins on page 372, and it's called The Quantum Rose. Yes. Um, almost, like, functionally, it's almost like an epilogue. It Yes. I mean, the, it, it begins essentially in a montage with him getting married and falling mm-hmm. into a traditional life and then having a child, and um, all that is just summarized in four paragraphs two of those paragraphs are one sentence right each um and then uh goes on to uh the discussion um that he's having um with uh, this american researcher uh who who is looking for aliens what's his name norton parker norton parker um yeah, so talking about all that, and it's it's all in dialogue. This this discussion about um, looking for aliens and such, and then he comes across uh, the photo of Lin Yun holding uh, a, a little girl's hand, um, and or he, she's holding a, a little girl, and her, that little girl's left hand is missing, which is a callback to um, this. Uh, first use of the ball lightning weapons that obliterated all the life inside this nuclear power plant uh, where the uh, terrorists were holding this school trip hostage and like all that was left was this little girl's hand right um which again that's the sort of thing that i i again really don't want to do all these comparisons to western what ifs but like I don't feel like that scene would have gone the way it did in a Western novel. If it did go the way it did, it would like, it would resolve in a different way. Yeah. Very different consequences on the, uh, on the Mm -hmm. um, overall plot. And, and uh, like that's, that's your like, uh, you know, we've assassinated the King of Wakanda moment that like has all kinds of negative, um, consequences uh Mm -hmm. so yeah i i think that's fair to say um i don't know that it like goes the way it does because it's chinese or anything like that but certainly in a in a western novel it would be much more likely to go a different way Mm -hmm. um to me that has as much to do with 
what we talked about last episode with the uh the the idea being the main character um yeah and similarly with the war and like leo says mm-hmm. something related to this in the afterward uh actually i think it's right in the bit that i quoted that i quoted last episode where he says uh um traditional chinese science fiction doesn't really touch on the tremendous ways whatever new technology would transform society it's much closer in and he says so it is with fall lightning the emergence of such a powerful technological force is bound to have huge far-reaching effects and the mm-hmm. book addresses none of this um and mm-hmm. i don't know that that's i don't know that i completely agree with that statement but it, mm-hmm. in the sense that like this terrorist situation and even like a war between china and the united states which like if that happened tomorrow it would be you know ep- epoch making news like it would be mm-hmm. you know the, the biggest news story of the last you know since world war ii probably but yeah in this book those things both well they happen they get subsumed under the the main character the idea and they only excuse me they only uh relate to the plot in as much as they affect the idea rather than the other way around mm-hmm. so yeah so. yeah yeah did you want to say yeah it's more about the quantum rose i feel like we yes um it's kind of getting to that point where he starts seeing this this blue flower blue rose mm-hmm. in a vase um out of the corner of his eye and then as soon as he looks at it it disappears and so it's a quantum rose um and his he talks about it with his wife and it turns into a big argument uh and their marriage looks like it's about to fall apart which is like it's so sudden that this is five pages or something after we see them get married and now their marriage is falling apart um so i mean he's collapsing time which just makes it all feel like a like an epilogue again Mm -hmm. uh there but then his son sees it too um and then later she smells it um and uh so this rose is is there um but it's also not uh and the implication is that it's um Lin Yun mm-hmm. who's there and just dropping this rose off uh which it implies the existence of this quantum realm and affirms a lot of what was hoped earlier on right so i i think it's written in such a way that there's there's not really an alternate method to interpret it right that this is this is absolutely what's happening that there's this this alternate realm um which is kind of just a nice and relaxing conclusion <laughs> yeah yeah <in> <laughs> to sense. the book like everything's okay you know well i mean, i don't um, i don't know if i'd go that far because you don't know how okay everything is but yeah, certainly implies that at least that's what Lin is trying to convey. Um, and it I've... did make me wonder if there was like symbolism for a rose in Chinese culture that I didn't know. Oh, um, yeah, like... yeah, I, um, that's an interesting. It, it, it 
seems like it begs that question from our perspective. I don't know. Right. I I mean, in in our culture, like a, a red rose means love and any other color rose can mean love, but it can also mean any number of other things. Yeah. Like if you have a um, white rose, it sometimes has death connotations. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. So like it, it didn't strike me, especially just the way his wife reacted that like she didn't react with like jealousy or anything that someone was leaving this rose for him or anything. So, yeah. um, it wasn't that. It was it was just a marker that, hey, I'm here. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, Which, I mean, I, I actually feel like the the quantum realm ghosty stuff is like, could have been an entire other book or at least a more significant yes. portion of this one. Because um, it, it's set up with like some of the stuff about his parents at the beginning where mm-hmm. they, and, and then in, uh, is it Dingy's? wife who died but then seems to be writing writing stuff from beyond the grave oh uh, no that was the older professor oh, that's right, guy yeah, yeah. Um, um can't remember his name yeah uh but uh but yeah like so it's it's like there is like a, this undercurrent to everything that's going on and it's like maybe the weirdest and like most fantasy adjacent part of this book and it's really not explore like there's not even like a like a maybe if you knew the science better or something you you'd get it more but like there's not even almost even a, like a hand wavy explanation for it it's just sort of there i mean i mm-hmm. guess the implication is that it has to do with like somehow getting touched by the ball lightning like puts you permanently into this this sort of quantum state and um you know something to do with with observers and and those with knowledge of you you know Mm -hmm. and so forth but it's like it's probably the vaguest uh uh concept in the book um and i could see like especially someone who demanded a much more rigorous explanation for everything being dissatisfied with it on that level i think it i think it worked just fine but Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, I, I I don't know if there's any more like mystery to it to explore really, but like yeah. it's just it opens up the world yeah, a yeah. little bit. Um, yeah, no, I I really loved that that uh, through line. Yeah, yeah. Um, the the bit with the photo I think was interesting. Um, that it's it's Dingy who has this uh, photo, and is it his girlfriend? Um, yeah, who, mm-hmm. who notices that he's kind of obsessed with this photo. It, it, does it explain where the photo came from? I don't remember. I, no, I don't think he does. Yeah, um, Ding Yi never spoke of the photo. It's just a photo that comes out here. So, like, it's left just ambiguous enough that, you know, it doesn't need an explanation. Right. Um, it's just it, this is just another piece of evidence, right. um, but it is just an inter- interesting question I think about where did that come from? Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how did he capture that photo? Um, but uh, uh, another thing that I wanted to point out is connection between two things in the book. Okay, so um, page. 
57. Page 57 in the book. Um, and it's uh, Zhang Bin is the uh, older uh, professor here who's who lost his wife to ball lightning. Right. Um, so he shows the narrator his wife's notebook. Um, and she he, he looks through the the notebook and finds that every other page is burned. Yes. And this is before you have any explanation for ball lightning or anything like that. Right. Um, and up to this point and then going on from this point, um, it just builds that mystery of ball lightning. And this is one of those in particular that, um, just because of the, the particularity of like where ball lightning goes and how it, you know, passes through one thing and then explodes in another thing, right. um, that, uh, almost seems to indicate like an intelligence or something. So I was interested when you were bringing up like the other observers and things, um, like my mind went two different places, like aliens mm -hmm. or demons, Sure, <laughs> you know, and like it being a, a sci-fi book, I, I pretty quickly dismissed the demons idea, right. but, um, still like it, it occurred to me that this could be like an extra dimensional sort of intelligence type thing going on here. Um, that, uh, it's there, at, uh, towards the bottom of page 57, I paged through the notebook, every other page was burned, um. And so there's that, that pattern in this book of every other page. Now, um, I want to compare that just beyond that, that thought that I had about the intelligence that seemed to be there behind ball lightning before you get the explanation. Hmm. Um, once Ding Yi explains what ball lightning is and then it starts explaining more about ball lightning, it's on page 221 that I, I think it really comes out. Um, it was a, a later experiment that um, um, different spectra for different micro macro electrons, like a fingerprint, macro, macro electrons that discharged into like targets had spectra, and hence recording the spectra of a small number of macro electrons with a suitable target selectivity made it possible to find many more similar macro electrons using spectral recognition without any excitation experiments. And so animal testing became unnecessary. Anyway, so what all that is to say is something that becomes kind of plot relevant for the book there thereafter is that different sorts of ball lightning will discharge onto different types of material and destroy different things. There are some that destroy living material, some that destroy wood, some that destroy microchips in computers, um, and, and so on and so forth. Um, so with that in mind and thinking about this notebook, mm -hmm. how did something, how did a ball lightning destroy only some, <laughs> only every other one? And I know like it, it's all super mysterious and stuff, but it, it, I, I wonder whether that previous recording breaks the rule that's established later. Previous recording. The, that, that previous instance, that, that note about the, the ball lightning um, destroying every other page in the notebook. Sure. Does that discount the rule that's established later on? Um, I mean, in a way, from what you're saying, like it, it certainly seems like it does in the sense that like you would expect, oh, this one can, can discharge to paper, uh, mm -hmm. and you'd expect it to destroy all paper. Um, Mm -hmm. 
I guess like the the other interpretation that that comes to mind for me is just the idea that this is some sort of because it's a consistent pattern even though it's such a weird pattern um if there's some sort of oscillation in the uh the pattern like it's a it's a something that's that skips somehow um mm. like why it would why it would skip in such sort of such a uh finely tuned or or uh um you know such a specific way i i don't necessarily know but i don't think it sure. inherently violates the rule um mm. and i think if it does it's just it's frankly just creates another layer of interest if um if mm -hmm. anything uh, okay but that's, that's that's the best answer i have for that that's pretty much the answer that i i came up with that it's it's the the rule as written really um, is there more or less for plot convenience and I, in in reality within even this world that rule is far more complex than that like there's a lot of science and research and, and fine-tuning even of yeah. the instruments to get the ball lightning to target things uh, the way they want them to and that's like that's not the point so they that's kind of glossed over that's um, similar actually so... <laughs> to the only other thought I had which is like um, maybe uh, unlike a craft level it's maybe just put in there to indicate that like even though the characters in the story have figured out some things about this and the, and those those mm -hmm. those rules that they establish later on seem to be internally consistent that there are other elements to the phenomena that like they haven't discovered which is just like almost just sort of a a recreation of how scientific discovery and development works in the mm -hmm. real world is like um, you have rules, you know, quote unquote rules that seem to be internally right. consistent, but like they don't necessarily explain all of the phenomena and that a doesn't mean that the internally consistent rules don't work or are false somehow. It just means that there's other elements to it that haven't yet been explained. Right. Um, and based on like everything else about this novel, I certainly wouldn't put it past Liu to like have some of those elements in there intentionally to to uh again give sort of a um textured recreation of of the process of science and scientific discovery um mm -hmm. to to leave something like that a little bit unresolved or mysterious on purpose specifically to say that like you know this is this is how this stuff works we're not gonna yeah. resolve everything necessarily right right yeah um yeah so that was my uh my thought on that um the the one more uh thing i wanted to to point out and i don't really have a page number for this it's just something that i noticed and i don't know i wonder if you noticed it too um one of the pilots that was gathering the macro electrons for them and doing those early experiment experiments was named captain liu oh yeah i noticed that at the time okay um and like it's it's one of those things that uh i i, I it's not quite a dexter palmer writing himself into <laughs> dream of perpetual motion but um 
I wonder if Tishin Liu did that on purpose. I, obviously, he made the character on purpose, but yeah. did did he write himself in? Did he... I don't know enough about the author <laughs> right. uh, on his own, but... The other thing um, that... The other thought I had was I don't know yeah. enough about, like, Chinese common names, like... That's that's a thing too, yeah. It, it would be very different if Liu as a as a name was, uh, you know, was the rough analog of like Johnson in America versus mm-hmm. if it was the analog of like Dundercuddy or something, um, <laughs> right? You know, that very real name that a few people have, but not very many people have. Um, right, right. <laughs> yeah so i i thought of that question i don't have anything particularly insightful to uh contribute to it very good very good yeah i don't i don't particularly have anything insightful on that either um he's he's there he's interesting and then he disappears um once they stop observing him so yeah um <laughs> Uh, yeah, so th- those are kind of the, the peculiarities that I wanted to survey through the book. Um, is there anything you want to talk about with this book, Ethan? Um, the only thing I really want to say is basically yes. just uh, to compliment, like to pay Cixin Liu the highest compliment on like my personal scale of compliments, um, mm-hmm. which I have no idea, uh, you know if it will mean anything to him or indeed anyone other than me. Uh, and that's okay. But I just wanted to get on record that like, I really admire like how, you know, we, I, I've, my through line for these two episodes has been to say that the idea is the main character. And I really admire how he uh, executed that. Um, and okay. So this is a, I guess the main point I wanted to make uh you we touched on last episode about certain subgenres or even just like um something at a at a deeper level than a subgenre in science fiction and fantasy like just a a trope or a, a type mm. um yeah of of both science fiction and fantasy becomes sort of a thought experiment and yes you know it's almost paradigmatic like uh you you call the both all of these genres lumped together with horror you call them speculative fiction like they're mm-hmm. almost inherently thought experiments excuse me um but like a hard science fiction story can um become a thought experiment in a way that like even within speculative fiction other things can't um mm-hmm. and like science fiction itself has been uh, sort of an exercise in thought experiments. And I think that's like people who analyze science fiction from a perspective of like, oh, this isn't very likely. Or like if you had someone to say, say like, this probably isn't why ball lightning is a thing. There's probably not a macro universe uh, with <laughs> alien observers. Like those people have completely missed the point. Um, yes, because the point is the thought experiment. The point is, can you take this idea and 
like convey it in an interesting manner and go unexpected places with it and like you know in the in the sense of a of a more concrete experiment can you be clever with it and about it and produce mm-hmm. unexpected results um and in that sense and this is this is the compliment that i said i was going to pay uh mm-hmm. Cixin liu reminds me very much of gene wolf um mm-hmm. like i remember specifically in how he deals with ideas and in and with like taking ideas and and turning them around you know like a like a gemstone in your hand to to illuminate different facets um mm-hmm. and specifically uh it reminds me of something i read in a neil gaiman interview or article or something actually it might be in how to how to read gene wolf um where gaiman said that wolf like Gaiman once read to Gene Wolfe a an article f- from a newspaper from like a hundred years ago about like a a murder that hadn't been solved that continued to baffle the cops, and Wolfe like took just based on information in the article about the people trying to solve this murder being baffled. Wolfe like came up with a completely plausible explanation that had not been suggested by anybody in the article and like you know just took into account like uh, means motive and and um mm-hmm. uh, all of all opportunity of, thank you yes uh mm-hmm. it just like came up with a complete workable theory uh to solve this this hundred year old murder that no one at the time apparently could and that's to me both the synecdoche of like gene wolf's work like what he does oh, as yeah. a writer um and also like what this sort of brand of science fiction can do and it's cognates and fantasy yes. can can do a similar thing but um i want to tie in like the chesterton quote that you know uh stories about or whatever fairy stories aren't important because they tell children that fantasy or that you know start over fairy stories are not important because they tell children that dragons exist they're important because mm-hmm. they tell children that dragons can be beaten. Like, there is, of course, no way to know if uh, Wolf's theory about this 100-year-old murder actually is what happened. Prob- almost certainly. Right. Like, uh, but the point is, it doesn't matter. And yep. um, the point about this book is, it doesn't matter if, you know, macro electrons are a world. What matters is... And, uh, like... The thought experiment and the intelligence and the cleverness aspect is tied in with the thrill of the story in that he Liu has set up something, a, a real phenomenon, and he's posited an explanation for it that is at very least it's compelling on like a like an intuitive level and like a like a storytelling level. Mm-hmm. Um and like really that's like the kind of thinking that science fiction um, pro- sort of was created to promote, and certainly has proven to promote. Like, um, oh yes, you know, at this point we're we're uh, going on 150 years, probably after H.G. Wells and Jules Verne, and um, throughout the 20th century, especially, like a lot of the people who have built the technology that shaped our world were themselves shaped by stories exactly like this. Um, absolutely yeah so yeah it 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 asks a question more than gives an answer it asks a question but also it gives tools to the solving of the question to the answering of the Mm -hmm. question 
and it's sort of irrelevant within the story or or rather whether the the way that those tools are used in the story it's almost in this sense it's irrelevant whether it's true or or uh works or not like the point is almost the quest for a solution yeah yeah very good um before we conclude this episode uh there's there's one more thing we need to talk about um that uh i think we should we should do it's outside of the realm of of ball lightning um so we're going to leave that discussion but uh we we have a a communique that uh that we should address briefly uh do you have access to that ethan uh otherwise i've got it oh i i can get it real quick but if you've got it go ahead i've got it uh it's from uh nathaniel ryan um uh, who, is, who has he been mentioned on the show before i don't know he sounds familiar yeah but, I, you know, I mean I don't know. i'll have to look up his name to see if i remember who he is right um but he he sends us this message regarding shotgun love songs uh yes. which we covered uh several episodes ago Uh, And he says, is there any chance that the ending is an homage to Huckleberry Finn? Well, whether it is or is or it isn't, I find it strikingly similar. A childhood friend of the main ish character concocts an elaborate, unnecessary plan, which he has to argue his friend into accepting and which winds up getting him shot and nearly killed. Despite the plan's stupidity, it kind of works in bringing the characters closer together. That's his his message. Yeah. Um, So. Uh, and we talked about that ending, and um, that was that was one of the the, the points where we I, I felt a little less uh, satisfied by it, I think, than you did. Uh huh. I, I tried to correctly. Uh, you you brought up that you felt unsatisfied by it, and I tried to satisfy you, but in your you tried. Uh, perennial way, you would not be fully satisfied. Um, I refused. So yeah, uh, now all of all of what we've said is true, and I was pretty. I was personally, honestly, pretty satisfied with my own mm-hmm. answer. I, you know, if anything, I didn't think it was like the well-made novel conclusion. Oh sure, but uh, every single one of my favorite novels of all time is the opposite tradition from the well-made novel. So I was almost more satisfied with it on that level than anything else um yeah Yeah. but all of that said uh nat as he is as i want to call him um did what he has done many times before and yanked the satisfaction right out from under me like a like a (laughs) rug i was standing on um because at no point in thinking about it myself explaining it to you um Mm -hmm. did i even conceive of this reading of it and as someone with a master's in literature who wrote his master's thesis on twain though Mm -hmm. admittedly not on huckleberry finn but on twain like this felt it's one of those i mean there's there's a certain genre of ideas that like is brilliant and feels obvious after you encounter it but like that's part Mm -hmm. of its brilliance is just someone pointing out something that was obviously already there or always there but you know yeah you had to have someone point out and like yeah uh so i 
And you brought up Dr. Hannah's take earlier that, you know, if it's if it's yep. on the page, the author gets credit for it, whether he intended it or not. I don't know if Nicholas Butler intended this, but it certainly works as a reading. And, you know, like mm-hmm. Huckleberry Finn, if, if there's such a thing as the Midwestern novel, Huckleberry Finn mm-hmm. is um, a very strong candidate for that category. Yes. Uh, and so, and like certainly within broader streams of American literary tradition, like it's something Butler would have almost have to be familiar with. So, and absolutely, you know, the type of story Butler tells is is certainly directly influenced by, uh, you know, a, an ancestry that includes Huckleberry Finn as its its patriarch potentially. Um, mm-hmm. So, like all of that works so well. I don't yes. want to say that I that I have to imagine that 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 was there intentionally but if it's not it's a case of like uh, you know like people being in the same tradition like sort of sort of echoing each other yeah it's such a good such a good thought and such a good read it it makes me wonder too whether because i know that ending of huck finn has been um debated about ad nauseum um yeah and so it, it makes me wonder if the ending of shotgun love songs could inform some of how we interpret the ending of huckleberry finn as like you know it's it's these friends and like this is this is how this would go down you know yeah um that's <laughs> um, i don't know uh, it's interesting that's a point i thought about bringing up and then forgot about in the middle of my last tangent but um sure yeah i mean for me just personally like the ending of huck finn has always been my least favorite part i don't necessarily subscribe to some of the harsher readings of it though i also find it Mm -hmm. hard to completely dismiss them um yeah and of course like shotgun love songs is aided by the fact that it doesn't have the racial aspect Mm -hmm. going on um and you know you can take that as you will but like uh almost nat's like abstract version where he was he was summarizing sort of the two simultaneously is like right to me the best possible interpretation of the end of huck finn like um because mm-hmm. you know the the harsh version is like these ignorant white boys are are forcing jim to to like relive the um uh sort of reenact the trauma of slavery and um again that's a hard one to completely dismiss but like the idea that right. this is this is like a stupid bad idea by people of a lowered capacity uh you know in in huck finn's case because they're children um you know mm-hmm. but that like ends up sort of accidentally uh it's almost like an operation of of grace like bringing them together like that's that's the most like and I'm not fully satisfied with it in the case of Huck Finn, but it's like the closest to satisfied I've been with that section of the book. Um, sure. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Nat. Very good. Yes. Thank you for that observation and giving us something to talk about. So we never have enough to talk about on the show. Yeah, we usually um, struggle. Get about one um, and a quarter episodes in, and then we're just done. I know. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, 
All right, Ethan, we are at the end of this episode, and so I'm sending you a punishment. Um, you should find it in your Facebook messages. Don't threaten me with a um, good time. So I, I, I figured in, in our punishments, a lot of the time we, we tend to abuse Shakespeare, but I'm going to, to abuse a different poet this time. Um, and I, I've sent you a link to uh, a poem by Emily Dickinson. Yes, I have it open here. Okay. Uh, it is The Lightning is a Yellow Fork by Emily Dickinson. Yes. Um, it's it's just two stanzas, two quartets, uh, and uh, your, your, your stunt, however, is two things. Oh, no. You must read every other line backwards. So the first line will be read forwards. The second line will be read backwards. Now backwards phonetically or by whole word but by whole word i'm not an i'm not a monster um (laughs) well you are oh well uh but uh you also must do it all in an irish accent all right (laughs) all right are you ready Mm -hmm. the lightning is a yellow fork sky the tables dang it (laughs) <laughs> I have to start over. The lightning is a yellow fork. Sky the inn tables from. By inadvertent fingers dropped. Cutlery awful the. As fun to smoke marijuana. Of mansion never <laughs> quite disclosed. Concealed quite never and. The apparatus of the dark. Revealed ignorance to. Dickinson Emily. <laughs> I don't know if anyone heard this, the hidden messages in there, but uh, uh, <laughs> if you if you turn if you run if you run your podcast tape backward real quick, you'll Ugh. you'll hear it. Oh boy! Might be All right, let's. Might be better if you get yeah. like the special edition podcast vinyl printing. <sighs> it's easier to to run that back. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I didn't get to punish you, but I still punished you. How do you like that? You still did. You still did. I would say I'm sorry, but I'm not. You're not kidding. Let's go on to ratings. <laughs> um, so, Ethan, would you please uh, rate the scotch, the Talisker Storm Single Malt Scotch Whiskey? Absolutely. Um, I give this one a solid four stars, uh, mm. which is like almost, I almost feel like I want to rate it higher, but uh, I... I don't know that I can because in a way, and I think I mentioned this, like when we very first unboxed the scotch four episodes ago, um, mm-hmm. is that like, it hits all of my buttons cause it's, it's smoky and it's, a uh, um, there's even a tobacco note, which I really love in whiskey. Mm-hmm. And like, it's got the, the ocean thing. Like that's literally just like, it's, you know, so there's like that, that, sea spray element that um Mm -hmm. it doesn't taste salty but there's like a tang of salt water to it like it's just Mm -hmm. every single thing that uh i like in a scotch so um you know since it's surprised surprising that i'm not rating it higher uh my main criticisms of it are just like there's no age statement on it and i was trying to figure Mm -hmm. out if i could if, if they put in small print anywhere and at least sure. on the bottle, I don't think they do. I, I 
lost my box somewhere in the last four hours um but i uh it, to me it does it tastes less aged and that makes mm -hmm. all of especially the smokiness but like all of the things it makes them very intense um mm -hmm. and some some scotches that are like not aged you get this very like immature taste to it and it doesn't taste like immature to me it just tastes like it could be mellower if it had spent some time getting older and it just didn't um yeah <laughs> which is not didn't make it that long. yeah and it's not the worst thing and i'm sure it like makes there be more talisker storm in the world and maybe drives the price down a little bit and i'm okay with with those things yep. but i just find myself wishing it had spent 12 years or 15 years in a barrel um it makes me wonder if there is a, a, a you know, an older version of, mm -hmm. of this. And if there was, I would love to try it. And I suspect I would, you know, it might become my five-star scotch, theoretically. Um, sure. But, you know, that said, four stars, obviously, quite, quite good high rating. Um, I can't envision myself ever, ever being sorry to drink the scotch. And certainly if, like someone gave it to me as a gift i would kiss them on the cheek repeatedly um the way that everyone does when they get a gift that they like uh mm -hmm. and yeah mm -hmm. you know i've i've gone out of my way to buy the scotch both at bars and in bottles like more than once so i i am i am quite happy to be drinking this one very good um, I, I just, as we were talking, did a quick Wikipedia search, uh, and there's Talisker 10-year-old, Talisker Sky, Talisker Storm, Talisker Dark Storm, Talisker 18, Talisker 25, Talisker 30, and all of those are limited annual runs. Oh. Uh, and then Talisker Distillers Edition, Talisker 57 Degrees North, Talisker Point Portree, Talisker Nice Point, and Talisker 8-year-old cask strength on a periodic release mm. so there are some older ones that are are limited it appears the 10 year old uh might be more common theoretically right um but uh just because this doesn't have a year marker it does tell me that it's not aged much if at all um and i was noticing some of the same things that it does taste quite young um and those those flavors are very intense and just kind of right there piled on top of each other um i'm gonna give it a 3.5 because it is solid and i would go back to this um i could i could drink this anytime i would never be disappointed to drink it it is very tasty uh like you say that 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 smoke uh that salt salt water sort of uh hint in there um i was even getting something kind of fruity um in there too um so it does have some complexity and it's very interesting and 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 very nice to drink very warm um but uh i i i think two things about it i don't think i would introduce a new whiskey drinker to this scotch no not even a new um, scotch drinker no no <laughs> um and uh i i i would i would likely go somewhere else before this one mm -hmm. um but that said if i were in the aisle and i saw this i would keep my thumb on that one while i looked around at the others and quite possibly come back to this one yeah. so 3.5 for me okay yeah um that's fair 
All right, uh, rate the book, Ethan. Ball Lightning by Tishun Liu. Buy, borrow, or forget about it. Um, I'm a solid borrow on this one. Mm-hmm. Um, I am glad I read this book. Uh, but, and I, of course, like, treasure and hold dear all of the books that you have gotten me over the years, Michael. If I had bought this on my own, it would probably, I would read it once and it would go straight into the, like, sell to the used bookstore pile. Um, mm-hmm. which is not an insult, like probably more of the books that I read cover to cover go into that pile than into the save pile. Um, so, you know, that's, there's nothing wrong with that, but I would solidly recommend like getting this from your local library and, uh, reading it one time. Um, and I, the only thing that would compel me to reread it is like your meta theory about the the reader being an observer (laughs) excuse me which as much as i like that is like not enough compulsion to want to reread it a second time and that's the closest i've got so it's very much a one read book for me um so on that basis i say i'd say i i would encourage the listener to borrow it and read it but Mm -hmm. i don't have a i don't find a compelling reason to tell them to like get it and keep it and refer back to it I, I agree with you 100%. Uh, borrow for me all the way. Um, I, I'm not sad to have this book mm-hmm. uh, by any means. Um, I, I could see myself going back to it and rereading it again, but Once is is really great, and uh, it's got me interested in the three-body problem. Yeah. Um, so I will probably be reading those books at some point, um, and... I guess I'll see how I feel about Cixin Liu's writing after that. But if the um, if the three body point, problem like lived up to the hype, including Liu's own hype, um, mm-hmm. I could probably see myself rating that a buy. Mm-hmm. That's you know that's in a quantum state right now that I haven't observed. So right, right, absolutely. So yeah. Um, all right. What about the pairing? Uh, Talisker Storm and Ball Lightning. What are the what are the strata? Uh, perfect match, pretty good match, slight mismatch, total mismatch. Um, I guess I'm gonna say slight mismatch. Like, <laughs> it felt not completely inappropriate. Uh, if for no other reason than like parts of this novel spend enough time like on the sea, in and around ships and and navies and stuff. So like that element of it matched up. I can't really think of another <laughs> like reason that that matched up i was actually thinking like as i thought through this scotch and and this book i was thinking that you were actually very generous and picked a scotch that perfectly matched my pick uh for this (laughs) this you know pair of pair of books uh Mm. perhaps i was trying to find one that would perfectly match both right Uh, i just don't know what that that would be yeah like if you could have done that I don't know. You would have. You would have won. Well, they're Scotch. very different books. Exactly. So. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. So, um, yeah, it's no knock on on you or your pick, but I I just didn't find a lot of a, a bridge between this book and uh, the mm-hmm. Scotch. Yeah, I I also think a slight mismatch. I'm I'm agreeing with you once again. <laughs> um, I it's it's close. It's it's close. Um, but also there's just something that's not 
totally right in the in the pairing there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I tried. I, I was trying to get something that would <laughs> had like the the sea character of you know the air and islands and stuff but then yeah. also you know the storminess with the lightning and everything anyway sure okay i can see that so, yeah no same, same in the in the sense like the the labeling is, is i mean the label matches right? yeah yeah so um no i think you did as far as trying to pick a scotch to pair with both a play set on the west coast of ireland a hundred plus years ago and a contemporary Chinese novel, Chinese science fiction novel. I think you did as much as any man could, but mm-hmm. the, the odds were Thank stacked you. against you. I, I appreciate it. Thank <laughs> you. Yeah. All right. So thus concludes our, our ratings uh, and this section. So, uh, Ethan, would you tell us what we're reading next? Yes. And if I was a good podcast partner, I would have left the Amazon page open, (laughs) uh, but I did not do that, so here I am stalling for time. Uh, Let's see. All right, so I'm going to fire this page at you in the the chat. I can find where the chat is. Holy crap. Okay. Uh, oh, yes, it's up there. Our next one is the novel By Force Alone by mm. Lavi Tidhar. I have no idea if I said his name correctly. Um, he is of Israeli origin, I believe. Mm. Uh, and I have not read this novel. Um, <laughs> I picked it because... I love this author. Okay. Uh, even though, as far as I know, I've only read three of his books. Um, maybe four. Uh, he wrote a trilogy of steampunk uh, novels um, that I had originally actually, like, and may still yet, uh, thought about... Uh, bringing at least the first of those novels to uh, to this podcast. Um, mm-hmm. I believe the first the first book of that trilogy is just called The Bookman. Um, mm. And it's like a steampunk novel that interrogates the whole genre of steampunk, which, as we've talked about before, you know, on this podcast, like, mm-hmm. does a lot of genre related interrogating of its own um right and like for my money and i've read that trilogy and like some essays that he's written and like for my money he's like one of the smartest and savviest like people working within the science fiction fantasy genre um and i've i as i often say on this podcast i very rarely reread books i think i've re- i think i've read at least the bookman the first book of that trilogy i think i've read it three times um okay but that's not what we're reading because i just decided sort of on the spur of the moment to say oh, let's see what his latest novel is um sure and so as far as i can tell by force alone is the latest one um and it is a retelling of arthurian legend as written in the year of our Lord 2020. 
Um, Fantastic. And again, that's, you know, I mean, I could like read off the, the jacket flap stuff, but um, that's the summary of basically what I know about this book. Um, that's wonderful. So it could be terrible. It could have a lot of objectionable content. It could be something that you and I both disagree with wildly. I have no idea. Uh, we will find I'm out. Just, I'm just throwing this one out as um, sort of on faith. Great. Uh, uh, yeah. All right. Uh, and after that, the book we are going to be reading is... Oh, he's gone. He's gone away. Oh, and he's back. <clears throat> I'm back. Babbitt by Sinclair Lewis. Oh. Uh, do you own th- this book, Ethan? I don't think so. I think I own oh, Aerosmith. Okay. okay. I might. I'll, I will get back to you, actually, because right. it's possible that I do. Let me know, because I, I thought maybe you did, um, but I... I, I know uh, I own anyway. one to two other books by Sinclair Lewis. I don't know if I own that I, I have read very little by Sinclair Lewis. Uh, I have not read Babbitt, uh, so this is uh, another first time for for me. Um, but uh, the reason I picked it, and I think I shared this with you, Ethan, some time ago I read The Republic of Imagination by Azar Nafisi, um, in which she surveys a couple of um, American novels that she thinks of as kind of quintessential American novels and, and teases out the American ideology um, from those novels. And Babbitt is one of those. And just from her discussion of Babbitt, I was very interested. I've been interested to read it previously anyway, but uh, just from, from that, I was very interested. Sure. So um, uh, that is what we are going to be reading after that. As I recall, when you were reading the, the Nafisi book, you texted me that, like, basically if we had known about Babbitt before one of the books we had read on this show slightly before that, like, mm. uh, it would have changed the discussion. Do you remember what book that was? <sighs> Shoot. I don't. I don't. It might come back to me. Um, when, Whenever we get to that book, it might be... Whenever we discuss Babbitt, it might come back to me. Sure, I'm trying to look it but up. But yeah, I do. I vaguely remember sending that message to you, but I don't remember what book it was. I'm I'm like rapidly trying to search my text messages to see if I can find it, and I'm okay. It's not working very well, so ah, that's all right. But uh, in any case, gentle listener, now you know what we're reading next. So read along with us. Uh, give us your feedback, what you think of those books or any of the books that we discuss on the show. Uh, go to the contact section of tapestryradio.org. Uh, put Scotch Talk in the subject line to help us find those messages. Um, uh, hit us up at Room with Scotch on Twitter or join our closed group, the Tapestry Radio Tap House on Facebook. If you request to join, we will let you in uh, unless you're seeking to destroy the world. Yeah, um, we might. Um also, as always, we will do your homework. Submit your homework on the website tapestryradio.org slash scotchcast. There's a submission form. Uh, fill that out, and we'll do our best, and then you can turn that into your teacher, and we'll laugh at you as you get hoisted off to 
plagiarism jail. Um, if you like this podcast, check out the other shows on the Tapestry Radio Network, like Intermission, the Backstage Drama Podcast, Us Play Fiasco, the Actual Play Improv Fiasco Podcast, Freddy Goes to a Podcast, the Freddy the Book Series Discussion Podcast, and Pokemon Roll Out, the Pokemon Tabletop United Actual Play Podcast. Rate and review all these shows, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Podcasts, anywhere you get your podcast, rate them uh, so that uh, people will hear us more and enjoy it. Uh, Ethan, where can they find you? I am at Bjartlett. That's at B-J-A-R-T-L-E-T-T on Twitter. Um, I also have a webcomic called Pinporter Girl Detective. It's pinporterdetective.com. If you like film noir, fairy tales uh or anything related to those two you'll like it i've awesome. workshopped this elevator pitch for weeks. <laughs> it's good it's good <laughs> uh i'm on twitter at m-g-l-i-l-i-e-n-t-h-a-l uh and until next time just remember it's our part it's our party and we'll cry if we cease to exist but peacefully. Peacefully. Peacefully cease to exist. Peace, no, peacefully crap. Never mind. Oh, okay. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Obscurantism and obfuscation. Orally observed, gentle listener. Gentle listener. Gentle listener. Gentle listener. Obviated objects of oblivion. Obambulating about. Offered unto you. Offered unto you. Offered unto you. In the Tapestry Radio Network. Tapestryradio.org. From From our our fancy fancy to to yours. yours.